read his letter so carefully. The magnificence of the Ambersons began in 1873. Their splendor lasted throughout all the years that saw their midland town spread and darken into a city. Around 1800, Major Anderson had bought 200 acres of land at the end of National Avenue. Through this track, he had built broad streets and cross streets, paved them with cedar blocks, and curved them with stone. He set up fountains here and there in a symmetrical intervals, placed cast iron statues painted white. And all this art showed a profit from the start. The lots had sold well, and there was a rush to build in the new addition. Its main thoroughfare was called Amberson Boulevard, and here now stood the new Amberson Mansion, which was the pride of the town. Yes, sir, $60,000 for the woodwork alone. And hot and cold water upstairs and down. Well, they got a ballroom there, takes up the whole third story. And a glass dome, green glass it is, way up in the air, and arches and turrets. And one of them new stone porches. They call it a porch cochette. Well, sir, I guess the President of the United States would be tickled to swap the White House for the new Amazon Mansion if the Major gave him a chance. Yes, sir. By the almighty dollar, you bet the sweet life the Major wouldn't. Now, of these Ambersons, at the time this story begins, there were three. The old Major and his two children, Fred and Isabel. Of Fred, it was generally understood that one day he would go into politics. Kind of a good thing to have an Amberson in Congress. Makes it pleasant when the family goes traveling. Meanwhile, he was to be seen every afternoon on National Avenue, perched high on the seat of the newest and fanciest rig in town, driving a pair of dashing bays with great gesturing and waving of his skin-tight lemon gloves. Of Isabel, it was known that she'd been to a young lady's school in the East and later to a finishing school in Paris. But now I'm back. Back for good this time, I guess. And it's nice to be home. Home being the Amberson Mansion on Amberson Boulevard, of which Isabel Amberson was now the hostess. Well, during those days, people had time for things. Time to gossip. Time for a lot of things. They even had time to dance square dances. Quadrilles and lances, the raquette and shortishes and pokers and such whims as the Portland Fancy. All gone now. Gone like the all-day picnics in the woods and like that prettiest of all vanished customs, the serenade. Of a summer night, young men would bring an orchestra under a pretty girl's window and blue top, fiddle, cello, cornet, and bass viol would presently release their melodies to the dulcet stars. Indeed, it was at one of these serenades that an event occurred which was to have a profound influence on the fate of the Ambersons. Eugene Morgan, it's too bad. Likeliest boy in town he was, and not really given to drink. Just celebrating. Stepped right through the base vial, he did. Made matchwood of it. Too bad it had to be right under Miss Isabel's window, and right at this time, too. When Eugene Morgan called the next day to apologize, Isabel refused to see him. And it was then that he wrote her that letter. And three weeks later, Major Amberson announced the marriage of his daughter to one of the town's leading young men of business. Wilbur Minifer, no breaker of base vials or of hearts. No serenader at all. Wilbur Minifer. Well, she'll be a good wife to Wilbur. And they'll have the worst spoiled lot of children this town will ever see. Well, how on earth do you make that out? She couldn't love Wilbur, could she? Well, it'll all go to her children, and she'll ruin them. The prophet has proved to be mistaken in a single detail only. Wilbur and Isabel did not have children. They had only one child. At the age of nine, it pains me more than any man to admit, George Amberson Minifer, the major's one grandchild, was a princely terror. With his long brown curls and the silk sash and lace collar in which his mother dressed him, he was dreaded not only in Amberson edition, but in other quarters through which he galloped daily on his white pony. Oh, look at the girly curls! Say, Bob, where'd you see your mother's old sash? Your sister stole it for me. She stole it off all clothes lying and gave it to me. Yeah? Ah, uh, you go get your hair cut. I haven't got a sister. I know you have it at home. I mean the one that's in jail. Oh, 
Let's get down off that pony. Sure, I'll get down off the pony. Whoa, boy. Well, I dare you to come inside that gate. I'm coming. Yeah? Like well, I dare you halfway here. I dare you. Hey! Oh, boy! Dirty. Now, what's going on here? Stop it. And get out of this yard, young man. I said... You stop that. You take your hands off me. I guess you don't know who I am. Yes, I do know. I know who you are. You're a disgrace to your mother. Your mother ought to be ashamed of herself to allow... Shut up about my mother. She ought to be ashamed. A woman that lets a bad boy like you... Don't pull down your vest, you old billy goat, you. Pull down your waist, wear all your chin, and... George. Yes, Mom? Is this letter from the Reverend Malik Smith the truth? He's an old liar. George, you mustn't say liar. He says you insulted and brutally assaulted his son. Is that true? Well, how old am I? Just twelve. And he's...